And off we go. Day number two of the uh, Thune and Layman Rush special. Tyler McComas out, so just Parker and I are going to have you for the rest of the way. Hanging out, Bob Moore Nissan in Oklahoma City, uh, Oklahoma City, in Norman, Oklahoma. You can't miss us right off of I-35 on the west side, just north of Tecumseh. we got huge inventory here, a bunch of great deals going on, awesome pre-owned inventory as well. Uh, they got some construction going on. They're building this place out, making it even more customer-friendly. Come in and see us, Bob Moore Nissan in Norman. Boy, um, we are, I don't know, does anyone do their, like, paperwork super early for signing day? Is it like a a 12.01 a.m. deal anywhere? Do people do that, or is it is it just going to be in the morning whenever we get all this stuff done? It it kind of depends player to player. So like generally generally the way it goes, the vast majority of kids will fax in their NLIs at the very earliest opportunity. So for instance, Daniel Akinkumi's across the pond in London, right? He's probably not mm-hmm. too far off from going to bed right about now. He will have the opportunity to fax in his NLI at like two AM today. Yeah. At like <laughs> yeah, two AM where we all are. So who knows? We might wake up and boom, Daniel Akinkumi is already officially a sooner. I don't know. But uh, that's generally the way it works. The bulk of the uh, faxings, if you will, happen in the morning at the kids' earliest opportunity at various time zone to time zone. Uh, but there are a few that hold out. I know for a fact, you know, we're doing a – at OU Insider, we're doing a signing day special from 7 to 10 p.m. tomorrow over at Sooner Daiquiri in Norman. By the way – Michael Patterson McDonald's dad runs that place. If you haven't been out there, 305 East Main Street in Norman, that'll be the place to be. I know David Stone is signing there. Michael's signing there. Andy Bass is signing there. So that'll be quite That's the party cool. tomorrow night. Come on out uh, if you don't have better plans and you're in the area. But I would figure uh, they're probably going to be signing duplicate paperwork, and their actual paperwork will have been sent in that morning. Let's hope so. Let, let's hope so. I don't. I don't know if uh, Sooner fans can handle waiting around that long, especially on some of those big names. But yeah, very cool. And I got to tell you, uh, I like this class. I think um, you know, with what we've built on the last couple of years, um, I. Our, our hit rate has been really high. Maybe some would say, well, that means you're kind of due for a, a correction. I don't know. I, I like this group. It's a big class, 28 kids. Class. And I think of the 28 commits, Parker, correct me if I'm wrong, I think 20 of them are going to be mid-year enrollees, which is, I mean, that's just a staggering amount of true freshmen that are going to be here, ready to roll, be available for spring football. Yeah, I mean, it's easy. It's a lot easier to go through the list and point out who's not going to be a mid-year enrollee. Like, mm-hmm. Eddie Pierre-Louis can't because he goes to a private school. Same deal with Andy Bass. A um, couple other guys I know for sure aren't going to be there till June. Uh but the majority, and this is just how it is across the board these days. OU's been very good about making sure it's a priority with their commits, though. Is hey, you know what? If you have the opportunity to graduate a semester early, come on down. Get to Norman in January. Start learning the playbook. Start learning the system. Start getting accustomed to the demands of a collegiate weight room. 
and it can be such a benefit. Not everybody needs it, right? Danny Stutzman didn't show up till June of 2021, and he was playing rotational snaps immediately by the mm-hmm. time September rolled around. But in general, getting there in January is a huge leg up for some of these freshmen in terms of their ability to get on the field early. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And uh, it makes your numbers situation interesting whenever you start to talk about transfer portal stuff and and everything. It's just because, remember, when those guys show up early, they go on scholarship early uh-huh. instead of during that spring. So it kind of it, it takes away your ability to maybe vet what you got in some guys through spring ball and have some more flexibility in that post-spring transfer portal window because you got so many true freshmen that are there that are eating up all those those roster spots. But it's still, it's it's definitely worth it. Man, I'm just laughing because I'm, and I know I've heard you and Tyler talk about it and Tyler and I have talked about it, but the fact that some of these sites, and I don't know who's who, but like I'm looking at 247 here whenever it's got our class up there, and maybe this is composite, I don't know, but it, it, they have uh, EPL, Eddie Pierre-Louis, as he's one of the lowest-ranked recruits that we have. He's a three-star, and obviously he's a – gigantic individual he's six well, foot three you know, you 330 plus pounds what, what, what's yeah. interesting with epl is like the variation between his ranking amongst the various recruiting services is astonishing and it's something that so many listeners have commented on like what's going on here it goes back to the fact that offensive line is just such a hard position to evaluate out of high school like <laughs> yes 24 7 sports has epl ranked as a three-star and like the number 65 player in the state of florida or something like that the yeah. folks at Rivals have him ranked number 29 in the nation and the country's number one overall offensive guard. Well, yeah. And they should. Which, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe he shouldn't be the number one guard. But he should be really high. And the fact that... I, I'll just I'll just say it frankly. If, if you view... A 335-pound guard that runs uh, a 12-second 100 meters as a three-star prospect in college football, your sight deserves to be shut down. I don't care <laughs> if if Eddie Pierre-Louis has never played a snap of football in his life, has never seen an oblong ball, has only seen a round ball, has no idea what the the pigskin thing is that people are tossing around the the field. If he has his measurables and runs and moves the way he does, he is at a minimum a four star prospect. A minimum. Has if if he's never put football cleats on, never played the game at all, without ever being coached. Four star at a minimum. Maybe still a five star at at that size running the way he does with that athleticism and the strength. Like that is so grotesquely bad that 
everyone involved in that decision should be run off of that site, fired. It's it it discredits what they do. And I don't know, maybe I don't know, maybe he's like the least intelligent person uh, ever, and that's what they're. Fa- I, I don't know what it is, but it doesn't matter. The physical traits, the kid is not a three star, not in the least bit. You, I could my mother. I could put on the video of him running track to my mother and say, "Mom, that kid weighs three hundred and thirty-five pounds." She would say. He's got to be the best player in the country. My mother. Oh, man. My, my favorite rivalry is Teddy Lehman versus national recruiting analysts and evaluators. Well, I mean, there's some stuff that's hard. There's, there's cases that it's difficult. Where did they rank? Are they a four? Are they a five-star? Like, well, and like the they... text line is pointing out, Ted, and this should be noted as well, not only is EPL stupid fast for his size, but – he repped 20, 225 pounds on the bench press this past summer 25 times. Anton Harrison did 24 at his pro day. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and he, when you're that big and you run the way he does, he is a, he is a fast-twitch muscle fiber athlete, and repping out 225 for a ton of reps is not necessarily your strong suit, I bet. Like he is a one rep max king, he is a anaerobic like ten second burst, like superstar. That's what he is, and frankly, that matches up really well with what he's going to be doing on the offensive line. But yeah, that is, that is, it's just it's ridiculous. And I'm I don't know. I'm sure he was offered by every team in the country, right? Three star. Wow. He had fifty five scholarship offers. Yeah. When's the last time you saw a three-star with 55 scholarship offers? It doesn't happen often. No. Nope. Sorry to go on that tangent, but it's just. No, I loved it. It's crazy. That is that is crazy. Uh, whoever runs 247 should, like, whoever's in, like, in that region evaluating talent, they should grab him, just shake him, and, like, what are you doing? Did the kid slap him or something? Like, there's got to be a grudge there. There's no way. You cannot justify that in any world at all. It's crazy. Ridiculous. But, hey, <laughs> that's who we have to go off of. I mean, that's, that's, that's the only resources we have in this world and when it comes to recruiting. So, what are you going to do? LaDonna from Lubbock says, Preach, Teddy. Brent from Jenks says, breaking news, 24-7 just went out of business. I agree, Teddy. (laughs) Cherokee Sooner says, someone that big moving that fast is horrifying. Yeah, can you imagine that kid pulling? Like, can you imagine, like, (laughs) say you're running anything to the outside and you got that kid pull it like a linebacker has to stare down at Eddie Pierre-Louis running full speed at him, all 330 pounds of him. Of course I can imagine it. I've seen it before. Uh, I've watched Trent Williams' highlights. That's what it looks like whenever someone runs and moves like that at that size. And I think he's bigger than Trent Williams. I think he's like 10 pounds heavier than Trent Williams, which is crazy. It's wild.
I love it. I am excited. And, you know, another diamond in the rough is the Akankumi kid who's listed as a three-star two. And, like, he's he's it's really difficult to evaluate a player that's in another country. But, like, I'm really excited about him, and I I don't know much about his background, but um, living in in London, in England, I have to imagine, you know, I know he goes to the NFL Academy over there, but overseas, everyone, all they do is play soccer. You're out on on the playground, you play soccer. And when you play soccer, you get a very, very good awareness of your body, awareness of um, like how to kind of predict what's going to happen and to uh, know where the ball's going and the ability to anticipate is, is really good in people that play, play soccer and, and, and basketball's big as well. But I, I imagine he's going to have great feet just because of, of that alone. He's going to have a big edge over most big men in the United States that play football, spend their time on the football field, and spend their time in the weight room. Not like, you know, tapping a ball and, and doing all of that type of footwork. So, like, as a three-star, he may be a diamond in the rough as well. Oh, and trust me, there are plenty of folks, not just in the Switzer Center, but nationally, that you know, make a living evaluating recruits and certainly are have, have a very vested interest in finding diamonds in the rough. There are plenty of those folks that believe Daniel Akinkunmi is going to drastically outperform his ranking when he gets to Oklahoma because you're exactly right. How often do you see big-time offensive linemen turn into complete busts at the collegiate level because their footwork sucks or because they're not laterally quick. Look no further than Bray Walker, right? And you can have a guy who's got all the measurables. Bray Walker was six foot seven, 350 pounds, and a five-star recruit coming out of high school. But if you're that big and you can't move, you're going to get exposed by collegiate defensive linemen. Daniel Akinkunmi, because he's got that soccer background, he is never a guy that's going to get beat, at least not regularly, because he's slow on his feet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's so funny. I, I just I can't imagine like in the in the SEC in the South uh, getting blocked by Daniel Akinkumi and then he talks to you in a British accent. Hot out here, isn't it? You know, it's just going to be so <laughs> weird. Going to be so weird and not, uh, it's going to take people by surprise. And I think that is hilarious. And uh, it's going to be funny to watch. Hopefully, hope, and I don't know, he may be one of those that's not in uh, a mid-year arrival just because of, you know, the school. I don't know how all of that matches up, but. I don't know. Exciting stuff, man. I'm 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 excited about this class, man. It's I think this could be three really good classes in a row. We won't know until we see these guys play, but defensive line, Jaden Jackson, Stone, Nigel Smith, uh Okoye. I mean, it's just a really exciting group. Okoye, 
the night he had at the U.S. Army Bowl down in Frisco last night. And I was not there, but I know plenty of folks who were. They were saying that kid was the best player on the field by a wide well, margin last night. I Somehow, something he tweeted came across my timeline that said, I don't want to hear any more talk about not playing 6A ball or something like that. And, I'm, and I didn't know what he was referencing, but I'm assuming that was it. Yeah, he went off last night. I saw a few highlights. Again, I didn't get the chance to watch the game, but – he had quite the evening, and he continues to do anything and everything he can via his play to disprove the narrative that he is only a stud and only a star and only a blue chip recruit because of his level of competition. Oh, man, I got to tell you, I am so excited for the day where we have two tarantulas coming off of the both edges with him and uh and pj that's oh, going to be awesome that is a great term I mean, that's just really what the, they are that's right long-limbed you don't want to have anything to do with them coming off the edge it's going to be fun man exciting times we got a uh, the future's bright right now whenever you look at what we've done recruiting over the last couple of years all right we got to hit a break more from the rush coming up. Hit the text line. We'll get to some of those next. 651-3439. I'm hanging out today at Bob Moore Nissan. We've got a huge inventory, tons of pre-owned stuff as well. They give top dollar whenever you bring your vehicle in here for a trade. Come see us here at Bob Moore Nissan in Norman. Rush is back. Hour number one, Teddy Lehman here. Parker Thune back in studio. Tyler McComas still out. We've got you the rest of the way. Uh, I'm hanging out at Bob Moore Nissan today, right here on the west side of I-35, just north of Tecumseh. You can't miss us. Huge inventory, uh, huge inventory of pre-owned as well. They're giving top dollar. They've got great financing options available here at Bob Moore Nissan. Come in and check us out. Parker, let's check in with the text line, shall we? Would love that. To the text line we go. Oki Tom says, Teddy, put your next round on my tab. A listener in the 316 says, Teddy, the English accent just made me drop the bar at the gym. <laughs> Jay in Tulsa says, check that. Teddy, with a British accent, has now eclipsed pissed off Teddy as my favorite Teddy. Uh, wait until you see me get so mad I start using the British accent then. huh? That's whenever we really go off the rails. Oh, boy. A listener in the 918 says, any worry about players going home for a few days and quote-unquote uncles and friends getting in players ears i hate this new wild west college football yeah well um i understand that and i'm with you but the only thing i can say is it takes a lot of energy to hate trust me i of all people know that okay i um I get very, very opinionated on a lot of things, and I let it affect me. You cannot spend any time hating it. You might as well find a way, as hard as it is, to embrace it because it is not going to change. We will never go back to the good old days of recruiting, scholarship, play four years maybe five if you're red shirt um have a ton of 
pride in your school and where you where you play and the culture that you develop to leave behind for players coming uh, you can just there's going to be guys that are like that but the vast majority from what you see moving forward is going to be guys entering the portal to try and maximize their value uh, like we talked about yesterday the guys that are starting to come in it's it's going to be more and more rare on every roster of guys that play their full career at one place. It's that is going to begin to be the exception in the locker room, not the rule. All right? And whenever that's the case, it's just what you do. You play a year, you play two. Uh, once you're a starter or a guy that plays heavy heavy rotation and you have a good productive year. You get in the transfer portal, see how much money you can make. It's just that's what it's going to be. Until they put in guidelines or some type of you know limit to the transfer portal, and I wouldn't hold out any hope for that. It took this sport damn near 100 years to even have a championship game. <laughs> Every other sport on the planet – has a championship game. My son's Little League Baseball League has a championship game and a playoff system. Everything does, except for college football. It is the slowest sport in the world to change at anything, and they flung the doors open. I wouldn't expect them to quickly reel it back in. A listener in the 405 on the text line says, and ooh, this is a great question. Teddy, what did you do? The spring and summer before you reported to OU, did they give you a playbook and workout program? Can you tell us about how that was to prepare? Uh, they did, actually. They gave me the, uh, you get a, a, a rudimentary version of the playbook. Um, it's basically, it's, it's a glossary of terms. It's um, it's formations and what they're called and it, it honestly is like opening a book written in Chinese. Uh, you just you have really no idea what you're looking at. But I was so afraid of showing up and being the only person that didn't know everything in it that I looked at it all the time, nonstop, tried to figure it out. I would call Coach Venables on some stuff, and he'd spend some time going over, going through some some things. And, you know, I just I tried to absorb all I could, and I had a pretty good grasp on it until the day I showed up, and then, I, like, it all evaporated into thin air. I knew nothing all over again. <laughs> it's tough, though, but, yeah, you, you you'll get some type of stuff, and they will – We'll start prepping you for what's about to come. Sure. Elsewhere on the text line, a listener says, my favorite rivalry is Edo versus closed captions. We sure love that one as well. Uh, Mm. Mark from Enid says, hope to get to see binocular Teddy saying, stuffed, stuffed, stuffed in Alamo (laughs) Bowl and the SEC. Loved it. Yep, 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 yep. And it's, I'm telling you, that that schedule is going to be so fun. It's going to be fun. We've we've got big opportunity in front of us. Um, it 
it's better. Everything is better when the stakes are higher, right? And the stakes are higher because we enter the season, right? We got a good football team. I, th- I think that we probably finish 11 and 2 as a top 10 football team. We're about to sign a, I don't know, depending on where you look, a, a sixth or seventh ranked class in the country. Things are looking up. And we're going to enter the season next year and honestly not know if we're going to win seven games, eight games, ten games. Like we don't know because of how the schedule looks. I, that's whenever things are best. I, it's been a long time. Now, this year we entered this season really not knowing what was going to happen just because of how Venable's first year went. But over the last 20-some years, we've entered almost every season almost knowing that we're going to win 10 games. Now, is it going to be 10? Is it going to be 12? Is it going to be 14 games that we win is, is kind of where we're looking like, we need to win a national championship. We need to win a conference championship. Like the 10-game thing hasn't even been a thing around here. It's it's conference and, and national championships is really what we've been hunting. Now, this year, as I mentioned, was a little different because of last year. But going into our first season in the SEC, it'll legitimately be the first time in 20-plus in years where we don't know if we're going to win seven games or, or ten games. It could be either one. We just we have a good team. We just flat out do not know what the results are going to be. And to me, that's how it should be. That's exciting. Yeah. Well, and again, we probably won't know how many of these teams look and what we can expect from many of these teams in the SEC until the portal cycle has come and passed. Because a team like Auburn, a team like Tennessee, even a team like South Carolina – how we feel about them heading into the 2024 season could be markedly different two, three, four weeks from now, depending on what moves they're able to make in the portal. And Oklahoma certainly falls in that same category. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. I mean, that's that's really the thing. And I don't know, the Georgia, you know, sounds like people are predicting Georgia is going to lose a bunch of recruits and maybe transfer portal guys this year. I I don't know. That's that's interesting. There's a ton of talk about Kirby Smart maybe taking the Falcons' job, which I can't imagine oh, really? would be the case. Like that's. Well, I don't know. I mean, I keep I've I've seen people talking about it and saying that maybe that's why uh, Riola jumped in the portal or not jumped in the portal, but um, decommitted. Went to, like I don't know. I don't buy it. I I'd be shocked by that. But the point is is. With as much change as there is year to year right now, even Georgia isn't immune to having some massive shakeups. No doubt. I mean, <laughs> yeah. And, well, and Kirby, it reminds me too. Kirby Smart made a series of comments, and I can't recall how long ago this was. It's going back at least a year, maybe two, where he basically said, Look, the direction that college football is headed, it has made life so much more difficult for coaches to be able to retain players, retain commits, retain staff, and that's the reason why so many college coaches, especially assistants, are beginning to get out of college football and either try to leverage their way to the NFL or just jump to the high school ranks. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's wild times. All right, we're late for a timeout. Quick break. More from the rush coming up. Bob Moore Nissan in Norman. Great deals. 0% for 36 months on Altimas and 0% on all Nissan Titans right now. Come see us. Bob Moore Nissan in Norman. Rush is back. Hour number one rolls on. Hanging out Bob Moore Nissan today right here in Norman. Just north of Tecumseh Road on the west side of I-35, we got great deals going on. 0% interest for 36 months on Nissan Altimas and 0% on all Nissan Titans. $375 a month for Rogues, $315 a month for the Nissan Kicks, and an all-time low, $288 per month on the Nissan Versus. Come see us, Bob Moore Nissan in Norman. Um, signing day tomorrow. Names should start rolling in early in the morning. I'm sure we'll see all the updates and everything uh, on social media as that happens. We've got the signing day show. We'll be doing that tomorrow at the Noun Hotel. Caleb Kelly's going to be there. Chad McKee's hosting. Gabe, myself, I think probably a couple of the coaches stopped by. I think Venable's supposed to stop by and may even hear from a couple of the players as well. So, that's going to be uh, going to be pretty cool. It's going to be. I'm interested to see what it's like doing the show outside of the studios there at the stadium on location. Feels kind of big time. I think that could be really cool. Um, anything else? I we're hoping. I guess you never know, but we're hoping for a pretty straightforward day tomorrow for us. Is there any fireworks that you're seeing across the country where maybe it's coming down to a couple of different schools on a big-time player on signing day? So I can't remember. We had this conversation yesterday, Teddy, and I can't remember whether it was on air or off air, but I mentioned to you, uh, Florida is a school that's impatient enough that if their five-star quarterback, DJ Lagway, were to flip Mm. somewhere and they were to lose the crown jewel of their 2024 class. There is enough adverse going on down there in Gainesville that there would be serious conversation, like serious noise made about Billy Napier losing his job. Hmm. Now, what I do know, what I have become apprised of in the last few hours here is that Florida is worried about DJ Lagway potentially signing elsewhere tomorrow, but it's not Texas A&M that has the best chance to flip him, from what I am told. It is, wait for it, Mule Shoe and the USC Trojans. Really? Yeah. How about that? How about that? I spoke with a source that said 60-40 that he signs with Florida tomorrow. Wow. Boy, um, Lincoln needs needs something to happen out there. And Will Howard hasn't officially committed. So, like, the dots kind of connect. Yeah. Why wouldn't Will Howard have officially committed yet unless USC was slow playing it a little bit to see what happened on early signing day? Wow. That's 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 interesting. That's interesting. Um, how good is Lagway? He's out of Texas, right? He is from Willis, Texas, and he is a certifiable stud. He had... If this number isn't correct, it's very, very close. I believe he had 80 total touchdowns as a senior. Now, admittedly, he was playing in one of Texas's lower classifications where he was 
very obviously the best physical specimen and most talented football player on the field. And they kind of, you know, whereas a guy like Andy Bass in the state of Oklahoma sat out the fourth quarter, the second half of many of the games he played, Lagway generally played all four quarters to kind of help pad those stats. But 80 touchdowns is 80 touchdowns. That's a freaking crap load of touchdowns. Yeah, the number number four player overall in the at least on this rank from the two four seven. Um, oh, I thought twenty four seven was canceled. Well, it's the only site that I know how to go to. So unfortunately, <laughs> they're enough. still getting my business. Um, I was just looking seven of the top ten players on this list going to the Southeastern Conference. And Florida's got two of them. Florida's got two of them. So as of right now, committed. That's um, that's interesting. And the Dylan Riola to Nebraska situation is awesome. Number quarterback, number one quarterback in the country, number two overall player. Um, I was committed to Georgia, moved to Georgia to ten high school in the area. Uh, as he's gearing up to to go to the uh, University of Georgia, and then somehow Nebraska comes in and swoops like underneath their uh, their nose there in Georgia and takes Dylan Raiola. That's that's quite the thing. I mean, I, have you ever? It's pretty rare. I know Sperry moved from Texas up here to Oklahoma uh-huh. to. Um, to play some high school ball at Carl Albert. Like, that's not a common thing, at least not yet. I mean, I'm sure it happens from time to time, but like for a highly recruited player like that to move across the country to the state of the school that he's committed to and then decommit and go somewhere else, that's pretty wild. Well, and it's also not, you know, for a lot of families in a lot of situations, it wouldn't be financially feasible to move all the way across the country. Dylan Ryle is has a unique situation that his dad played 14 True. years in the league, right? So they're, they're taken care of from a money perspective. But it is wild that he would move to the state of Georgia to be closer to his future collegiate home and then end up flipping. And a lot of the discourse on social media and uh, across the college football landscape – the last couple of days, Teddy, has been, well, NIL is leveling the playing field. In years past, how could the top ten players in the nation all be committed to ten different schools? How could Nebraska have a five-star? How could Missouri have a five-star? How could Mm. Texas Tech have a five-star? Yeah. Well, it's interesting, and uh, you got to look at the playoff this year. I mean, when you look at the playoff, you got four teams. I honestly believe that any of the four teams could win it, which is pretty rare in the college football playoff. Now, crazy things can always happen, but rarely do you look at the four teams and say, um, like, all, every single team can win. I, I feel that way this year. And I feel like Florida State, if Jordan Travis was healthy, like I feel like they could win it all. I feel like Georgia, obviously, is good enough to win it all. I feel like Ohio State is one of those teams that's right there. I feel like Oregon's right there. I mean, there, 
for the first time I can remember, there is legitimately six, seven, maybe even eight teams that you could say in a in a quality sense, you know, could could win the thing, deserve to be in the playoff just quality wise, how good they are. And it hadn't been that way at all. So the only thing I can point to that's changed is the transfer portal and NIL. So I mean, you gotta imagine that there is like I don't think it's gonna help most people out, but I think it is maybe gonna even the playing field within the top ten to fifteen schools to some degree. And I think the I think it'll even out more as we go if things like if they don't change the rules on us again. Because a lot of these schools were in a really, really good position before this all started. And it may take several cycles for all of it to kind of even out to some degree. So, I mean, it may work out perfect for a 12-team playoff. Yeah. Uh, by the way, another listener pointed out, uh, DJ Lagway did actually he, – he did play 6A ball in Texas. I, I might have said he played in one of the lower classifications. What I meant was – he plays in a district. He plays in a region of Texas where a lot of the teams that he matches up with are drastically overmatched. And he took yeah. full advantage this year. Again, not taking anything away from the kid. Yeah, he, there was a little bit of stat padding going on from what I understand. But 80 touchdowns is 80 touchdowns. And if Mule Shoe managed to flip him tomorrow, that would be big time. Anyway, he slices. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's. That's true. All right, late for a break. Let's hit a quick timeout. Keep hitting the text on 651-3439. We'll hit a couple of those next here from Bob Moore Nissan. Rush is back. Final segment, hour number one. Bob Moore Nissan here in Norman, Oklahoma. Uh, Let's hit one more text from the text line, shall we, before we hit the top of the hour? Ooh, one text. Well, maybe two depending on how good it is okay or how good i am i guess to talk about it okay usc's Corey foreman entered the portal huge loss for them that dude was actually pretty dang good that comes from a 918 texture and yes that is true Corey foreman who i believe was the number one player in the nation in the 2021 recruiting cycle hmm. has entered the transfer portal and will no longer be a usc trojan so, another big defensive loss for old Mule Shoe out there. Dang. That comes after Dang. last night's news that Tackett Curtis is also portal bound. Oh, yeah. I saw the official Tackett Curtis transfer portal social media post <laughs> there followed was... by freshman highlights of him. I'm telling you, dude, is he not the most violent football player you've ever seen dude he is uh, and uh, that's the only word like watch Tackett Curtis and tell me that is not a linebacker that is going to do evil things at his I don't even know I even like a normal tackle like somehow it just he you just see the offensive player is just like jarred it's crazy we did get a text from a 918 listener about a half an hour ago that inquired, is Teddy going to facilitate Brian Odom's addition to the Oklahoma defensive staff? I would love to have Tackett Curtis. Yeah, well, um, 
I'd love to have Tackett Curtis, too. I'd love to have Brian Odom. Uh, I think he is exceptional. I mean, whenever you look at just the recruiting job that he's done, uh, which getting Tackett Curtis from Louisiana out to Southern Cal. Again, the opposite of a culture fit with that kid. Yeah. I I don't think people recognize, like, he, Tackett Curtis was going to follow Brian Odom no matter where he went. I, when, like that, to be able to recruit like that is, is, is special. I mean, it's kind of the same thing with, with Stutzman. Whenever, you know, Stutzman committed to Oklahoma, um, side unseen. I know we hit all this yesterday, but maybe everyone wasn't listening to it. I mean, that's a, I don't know. I'd love to have both of those guys. Uh, if I, if I could, uh, flip a switch, I would have already done it. So I'll advocate all I can, though. All right, quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. Hour number two is next. Rush is back. Hour number two. Teddy Lehman here. Parker Thune hanging out back in studio. I'm here at Bob Moore Nissan in Norman, west side of I-35, just north of Tecumseh. Can't miss us. Huge lot, huge inventory here, new and pre-owned. 0% financing, 36 months on Nissan Altima, 0% on all Nissan Titans, $375 a month on Rogues, $315 a month on Nissan Kicks, and $288, an all-time low per month on the Nissan Versus. So come see us here at Bob Moore Nissan. we got signing day that's coming up tomorrow. We are, gosh, we're actually getting pretty daggum close to our bowl game against Arizona which I think is going to be a lot of fun for a bunch of different reasons. Uh, it's going to be a really good Arizona team that's going to be incredibly hungry. A bunch of those guys probably never played in bowl games. Um, they're coached really well. Jed Fish has done an excellent job there. He's got a long history. He's been a bunch of places, um, really experienced. they got a good quarterback, solid on defense, a couple of uh, big, strong interior defensive linemen. Um, they're going to hold out. They're going to just. They're going to give you everything. Trick plays, surprise on side to start the game, uh, fake punts. Try and come after them. Try and block. They're going to sell out to win this football game, and they're going to have fun doing it. Uh, so that's going to present a big challenge for us. Uh, but we've got our own things to be excited about. I feel like, except for maybe corner, which we haven't been healthy at corner all year, but I feel like this is going to be the healthiest our defense has been. All maybe all season, dare I say? Um, so that's exciting. And offensively, I know on the offensive line we are going to be struggling a bit. I get that, but uh, it's going to be fun to see Seth and Joe John Finley what spin they have on this offense, and how do they manage Jackson Arnold? Is is he going to throw it around from the pocket? You know, if you got a young quarterback, the key to, you know, calling plays for a young quarterback, in my opinion, is protect him from the game. Now, there's some guys that can handle more than others, but, you know, you don't typically want him making a bunch of big-time throws in the game. You would love to lean on your defense and lean on your running game. Um, short, manageable passes with quick reads, 
you know, throw the swing stuff, throw the bubble, um, you know, find a way to, to generate some easy throws like running back screens and and just stuff like that. And you can do a lot of that because we haven't put a lot of that on film. And I know that, you know, um, our offense can install those over a bowl prep really easily. Maybe run him a little bit to get rid of some of the nerves once you take a shot or two to kind of settle into the game quicker. That's typically how you would do it. But with it being a bowl game, and like, because there's a lot of unknown possibly on what you're going to see from the opposing team game plan wise. I mean, in the in the course of a regular game week, you can't wholesale change a whole lot of what you do offensively or defensively. But over a month of bowl preparation, you can actually do quite a bit. So I imagine, like, if I'm Arizona and I'm about to play Jackson Arnold. Guy that's never started a football game, has very limited experience. I'm going to put some things in that I haven't done all year. Um, I'm not going to major in them, but I'm going to give some different looks. I'm going to play a couple of unique coverages that I haven't haven't played all year. I'm going to disguise some things perhaps a little bit more than than I typically do. Um, I, so it's I mean there's a, there's a lot to think of there. Um, and I, the the main thing overall, our offensive line isn't a full unit. So, like, the typical way of calling a, a game for a freshman where you have to really protect them, like, we may not be afforded the, uh, the opportunity or the ability to just lean on the run game and, you know, create some easy little – little plays for him to get his confidence going. Like, we may have a really difficult time blocking up front. So that kind of changes things up. And it makes me think like, some of the best ways to protect a quarterback in that situation is you go old school air raid, right? Ooh. You widen the splits a little bit on your offensive line. Bill Biedenboe, offensive line coach in air raids a lot. He understands that. Seth called air raid and, um, you know, learned under it, under Leach as a player, went down, spent some time there as a, as a coach as well. He's well-versed in that stuff. I mean, I don't know. That's just me me thinking a little bit, like, how do you help out your offensive line and help out your quarterback? Um, maybe they don't – I mean, it would be – that would be quite the change to do something like that for a bowl game, but – I mean, you got to do what you can to win the game, and depending on what those pieces look like whenever we take the field, I mean, it's really going to limit your playbook as an offensive coordinator with what your offensive line can or cannot do. What do you think the odds are that Latrell just comes out in this Alamo Bowl and says, screw it, we're going bombs away. We're going to show the SEC what they better fear next year when Jackson Arnold and this offense are matching up, going toe-to-toe with their defenses? Well, I I would, if I were Seth, I would do it a bunch. You know, a, a, a lot of people think, well, you know, you can't protect it to be able to throw deep. Throwing deep is like, it's almost quick game, right? Whenever you get the look that you want on the outside, uh, it's almost quick game. You snap it, 
quarterback takes his little his footwork drop and then you let it fly and let your receiver go make the play. You don't sit there and pat the ball typically whenever you're throwing it deep. Now, when you're throwing deep digs and daggers and crossers and comebacks and double moves, you got to protect that for a while and your quarterback is looking off safeties, patting the ball and those type of things, but when you're just got rail routes on the outside, man-to-man coverage or or maybe it's cover three or something. Like you got a bell cover three. Uh, you're just snapping it. You take your step and you let that sucker go and let your receiver go make the play. So, uh, and I think it's probably what Jackson Arnold is best at. And you know, talk about protecting a quarterback. Well, let him do what he's best at. I mean, that's that's probably the best way to protect him. And. He throws a beautiful deep ball. So I imagine we see it quite a bit. And he's got receivers, too, that can go make plays downfield, and he doesn't have to hit them right in stride on a deep ball in order for Mm -hmm. them to go make those plays. Like, when you think about Jackson Arnold's high school career at Denton Geyer, he had some pretty good receivers on his team. One of them signed to Mm -hmm. UNT. One of them is signing tomorrow to go play at Cal. He did not have scrubs playing wide receiver. But what he didn't have is anybody over six feet to throw the ball to. Think about how many wide receivers Oklahoma can trot out at any given time that just have a natural size and reach advantage over whoever they're lining up across from. Nick Anderson, Jaden Gibson, shoot, Andrell Anthony gets back healthy next year. He's going to be a huge addition back into the fold. Jalil Farouk ain't a small dude. Oklahoma has a very athletic receiving core, and if you got a guy in Jackson Arnold that can give them accurate balls downfield, they're going to be able to go make plays. Yeah. Well, I just, you know, you can, just like anything else, when you when you spend a lot of time and, and detail and focus on some things, you can overdo it, right? You can make things way more complicated than they need to be. Offense is really the easiest thing there is. Now, there's intricacies in getting there, but like the main premise is how do we get the football to our best players? Yep. Right? I mean, that's, that's really all you're doing. Um, we can get caught up in protections and our system and what we want to do. I just get the football to the best players that being said i want no i demand for it to be proven that it's possible to overthrow brennan thompson (laughs) i love that if if i'm seth the trail i'm saying jackson i'm pulling you from the game if you can't throw the ball past brennan thompson okay if you can't overthrow him a long foul ball where it's just beyond his reach or coming out of the football game, let's see what you got. Because I've, I've yet to see it happen. I'm, we're in a dome. There's not going to be any wind. Throw it as far as you can, and let's see if maybe the fastest guy in college football can go get it. I mean, you have to do that, don't you? I mean, that's what you have Brandon Thompson on the field for because, yeah. look, at this point in his career, 
And I look, I don't know. There's always potential that he becomes more well-rounded as a wide receiver, kind of grows into and he and he's got a lot to grow into, especially physically, right? He's got to bulk up. He came into the fall listed at 158 pounds. But one thing that you cannot take away from that guy, one thing one thing that that guy has always had and had in spades at that is ridiculous straight line speed. And anytime he has been on the field this year, Right, defensive coordinators have to know. They've seen the film, right? They know that whenever 15 is on the field, all mm-hmm. he's doing is going deep. And yet, in every single case, whenever Brandon Thompson's been on the field, he's beat somebody deep. It's yeah. just been a matter well, of whether Dylan Gabriel has been able to get the ball to him. I disagree with you on one point. What's that? I'm not, I'm not having him bulk up. Really? No way. Bulk up. If I want a bigger receiver, I'll jog out Pedway or Farouk or, you know, a, a fast, larger version. I don't need him to bulk up. Matter of fact, if I was on OU staff, I would walk into the wide receiver's room I would, or I would uh, walk into the locker room, I would grab his pads, and I would go over to the equipment room, and I would start cutting stuff off of him. There used to be a punter in the NFL. It was a long time ago. I can't remember his name, but he had a, I'll never forget watching. He played for the Redskins. He had a collared shirt on underneath his shoulder pads. What? All right. Yeah. Collared shirt on underneath his shoulder pads. It's like a polo. He's not using his shoulder pads. When, when Brennan Thompson's in, you're not blocking anyone. All right. You're not tackling anyone. I want your shoulder pads. I would have them special made out of carbon fiber if I have to, <laughs> to where they're – he – it's track practice. All you are doing is burning down the sideline as fast as you possibly can. I'm eliminating every bit of weight that you've got. You are an F-16. That's all I need you for. That's your role. I don't need you to block. I don't need you to. I don't need you to carry the ball on a jet sweep, try and get the first down. I need you roasting defensive backs, and whenever you check into the game, the defensive coordinator has a spotter upstairs that says, "Oh my God, he's in! What are we gonna do? Back everyone off the line of scrimmage." That's what you want. I mean. There's no one else in college football that has someone like that. Yeah, you know what the more. Or I think if they about do, it, you can count them on one hand. Yeah, you. You don't change that. You accentuate it. Okay, you've won me over. No chicken and rice for Brendan Thompson. Acai bowls only. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It should it should be no different than than what he's doing, what he's best at, and that's track. That's why you're here to run. Let him run. I don't want to see a single route where he stutters his feet, has a break, has a like runs a deep in or a, a comeback. No, Are you kidding me? If if he runs a comeback, you know what happens? The everyone on the sideline, everyone up in the box, everyone on the like that that corner that's covering him says, "Oh, my, thank God." Oh, my God. Thank you. Thank you. He ran a comeback. You can have it. Throw it to him. Who cares? Nobody cares. Throw him the comeback. No one cares. Every, you're, you're doing exactly what, what everyone wants you to do. They are worried about hanging on to their ass for dear life because their corner 
cannot run with him. That's the, that's what defensive coordinators get scared of. Why would you ever do anything different with him? That's the way I think. Simple. I, I mean, I don't I don't ever think it at all. Nick on the text line says, "I'm curious, why did Teddy never go the coaching route?" <laughs> well, uh, work. <laughs> the, I I think I I think college coaches. Why they work so many hours, and like you know, a lot of people, it's like, hey, we're it's game day, we show up and we go enjoy the game, and I you don't realize the hours and hours and hours spent coaching, teaching, game planning, recruiting. Uh, it, It is just, it is an absolute grind. They changed the the calendar to where. It's a year-round ordeal. There's almost no dead period. Like now, in in like even in the summers, oh, you got a weekend off. Oh, hey, hey, uh, coach, it's it's Johnny Smith from Texas. We were gonna pop in to Norman this week and uh, and come visit campus. Well, guess what? Cancel your weekend plans because Johnny Smith, the uh, the three-star recruit that you probably will never offer is going to show up to campus so you have to be there to walk them around show them the the indoor facility you know what i'm saying it just it never stops they work 24 7 and i a huge chunk of it isn't even football it's it's babysitting it's daycare why didn't you go to class why didn't you show up to workouts why are you late why you know why are you fell in this class? You know what's what what happened this weekend at, at the club? Why, why are we getting you know it's like who wants to deal with that? Well, I mean I know they get paid well for it, and it it's there is a it's there's nothing better than a college game day and being a part of the action, and I'm sure calling plays and seeing your guys have success and recruiting young men and turning them into into like great football players it's probably one of the most rewarding things in the world but my goodness do you have to work for it well it took teddy all of four minutes to talk me out of brennan thompson being the next hollywood brown or tyreek hill and into simply being an x and f16 for the oklahoma offense so i'm on board with it as you should be as well uh (laughs) okie tom said have another cocktail teddy Another listener in the 405 says, off-season topic, every day Teddy tells us what he would do with a new player. I love this segment. Oh, yeah. Yeah, let's take some submissions. We'll do someone else. I mean, it's really hard. You do what they're best at, right? It's, it's incredibly difficult. All right, uh, we're late for a timeout. Quick break. More from the rush coming up. Hour number two rolls on here from Bob Moore Nissan. Stay with us. Rush is back. Teddy Lehman here. Parker Thune back in studio hanging out at Bob Moore Nissan in Norman. I don't think – we haven't talked about the playoff any, uh, you and I. You got a favorite uh, from from the four teams that you've seen so far? I think it's Alabama. I think Alabama wins yeah. the national title just because, like, it feels like this is Nick Saban's year of vengeance. 
Because yeah. it, you know, every after the loss to Texas earlier this year, everybody kind of collectively wrote Alabama mm-hmm. off. I'm as culpable as anybody in that department. Everybody figured, okay, like Alabama's got quarterback issues. This is kind of the beginning of the end of their reign of terror and perpetual dominance in college football, and they haven't lost since. Yep. Yep. And not only have they not lost, it feels like they're just now starting to hit their stride, right? They're starting to play their best. Now, I know the the game against Auburn went to the very end, but it, it feels like they were improving constantly throughout the season. Um, what's the – do you want to see a rematch, Alabama-Texas? Like, what do you think gives the best championship game? I think the two semifinals are perfect. They're the two matchups I would like to see. I'd like to see Alabama, Michigan, and and uh, Washington, Texas. I think those games are perfect. Um, and I don't know. I I kind of feel like maybe Alabama and Texas gives you the best championship game. Could be wrong about that. Is that probably true? Yes. Would I ever say that with my own two lips because of the validation that it gives <laughs> Texas? No. Yeah, I know. I where do, where would you rank yours in the quarterback? Uh, the four quarterbacks that are four. I'd rank him four. I, I think I'm kind of the same. You know, he every now and then he makes some really nice throws, but he's also the most prone out of all the quarterbacks. I think to to really just maybe get get rattled and and have the rush affect him and 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 do some bad stuff as well uh, throws a really nice ball not he's probably the least athletic of the four too right don't you think yes without question yeah um things he's, he's the smallest and the most injury prone of the four um I don't know. I, but he's probably got the best set of skilled guys of of all. Well, that may not be true. He's got a really with with Brooks going down. I mean that changes that. But his his receiving targets, his three top wideouts and his tight end are, I think they're the best best four um, passing targets on a team that that's in the playoff. Don't you? Yeah, no, I mean, Texas easily, I think they have the best stable of weapons, top to bottom. Now, Washington's yes, top, top to end, yeah. Washington's best playmakers at the wide receiver position, especially Roma Dunze, like that yeah. is their advantage. You know what's yes. crazy, though? Agree. You know where Washington and Texas were at this time last year? The Alamo yeah. Bowl. What, the, the, yeah, that's right. Yeah. We watched it. Um, we watched it in Florida after our game, right? This can only mean one thing, folks. Oklahoma will be playing in the college football playoff next year, as will Arizona. Pencil them both in. I mean, it's crazy. Think about, like, that game, it was an okay game, but Texas just, you know, whenever they needed to do something down the stretch, it was just totally quiet. Ewers couldn't get anything going. Um, Did he throw a couple interceptions that game? As I I recall, yes. Yeah. 
Um, it just they had chances to go do something with the football late and got turned away a couple of times. Interesting. Here they are, big rematch. Um, Michigan is to me. They are the most interesting. What a year! Isn't that crazy? The bizarre year that they've had, year. truly bizarre. so bizarre. Um, you know all of the build up for the Ohio State game, and they just right, put together a masterpiece of a game against Ohio State. Play really, really good football. Um, heavy run, just lean on them. That was impressive, but it's going to be harder to do that with Alabama. Uh, I think I mean, Alabama's going to be tough. They've got a dynamic player at quarterback that can turn your lights out in the running game, even though, you know, he doesn't do it a whole lot. Uh, you know, there's, there's, I think a fair amount of people think that Michigan is kind of by far the best team of the four. I just don't think that's the case. I just don't think they've been tested like some of the others have. No, I don't think so either. And, I I also am not terribly impressed with JJ McCarthy as a quarterback. Yeah. I not that he is bad because he's not. He's not asked to do hardly anything. Yeah, that well, I guess here's the way I can phrase it. If Michigan were to win the national championship, they will not do it because JJ McCarthy lifts them there. They will do it on the shoulders of excellent defense and a strong running game. Mm-hmm. J.J. McCarthy is not a guy that's going to spearhead a national title caliber offense. He's not to, Again, he's not bad. He does his job and executes his role well. He doesn't try to do too much with the football. He operates within the constraints of the Michigan offensive scheme very intelligently. But if it comes down to it, well, okay, let's think about this. Michigan – is it's Michigan Alabama so Michigan has to play Alabama first if Jalen Milrow and that Alabama offense are able to hang a couple early touchdowns on the board and they're able to turn this game not necessarily into a track meet but a game that Michigan has to play from behind in and a Mm -hmm. game that Michigan has to score points and score efficiently to stay in that's where I think the Wolverines get into trouble, and when you look back on their 2023 season to date, that's not really an area in which they are experienced. Yeah. I mean, it's wild. Right? They didn't like, – the closest game they played all year was the Ohio State game. And, I mean, score-wise it's close, but it never really felt all that close, did it? Um Felt like they just kind of controlled it, leaned on them, just did what they had to do to win it. It was an impressive game. You look at these other teams, and I don't know how you quantify it or if it's even something that's real, but the other three teams have all been battle-tested. I mean, Washington, some of the absolute dogfights that they've been in, you know, Texas, uh, a couple of, of really close games. The the tough one on the road with Alabama where they got the win. The um, the game against Oklahoma in the Cotton Bowl, tough environment. Alabama obviously lost the one uh, at home 
the great game against against Auburn. Like these teams, the great game against Georgia. These teams have been tested. It just feels like Michigan was never tested, and I like I said, I don't know how you quantify that if it even matters, but I I would like to believe I've got some comfort when things go bad. Like I don't even know if Michigan has has trailed other than maybe like the first score of a game or something. I don't know if they've trailed in a second half all year. I mean, that speaks to how good they are, but it all like how do you respond whenever all of a sudden you're placed in that position? I don't know. Kind of interesting to think about. Should be great. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be awesome. All right, quick timeout. More from the rush coming up, hanging out at Bob Moore Nissan in Norman. Hit us on the text on 651-3439. We'll hit some of those text messages next. Rush is back. Hour number two, Teddy Lehman here. Parker Thune back in studio. Tyler McComas, I guess, set to come back tomorrow. So I know all those Allegedly. out there missing Tyler. He may uh, extend the vacation, though. I probably would if I was him. He'll be back. I'm hanging out Bob Moore Nissan today. Uh, great deals going. 0% financing, 36 months on Nissan Altima, 0% on all Nissan Titans, and as low as 288 per month on the Versus. So come in and see us here at Bob Moore. Um, let's hit the text line, shall we? What are the good people out there talking about? Let's find out. To the text line we go. LG Sooner 63 says, just look at Michigan's schedule and who they played and all their home games. Yeah, going back to the conversation that we were having at the tail end of last segment, Michigan has not been tested to the degree that some of their peers in this CFP field have been. Like, even Washington had to go beat mm-hmm. Oregon twice. Had to yeah. beat. Washington was the only team all year that beat Oregon. Yeah. I mean, amongst others, like, that, they had a really difficult schedule. I mean, uh, they played Oregon twice. They played... Um, well, say what you want about USC, but they played at USC, Kayla Williams. They played Utah. Oregon State is a, a really good football team. They just got past them on the road. Washington State, they got the best effort from, from Cam Ward and those guys. Um, that's 24-21 football game. And yeah, it was, it was a, it was a very difficult schedule for them and they handled it. It got hairy late, like they were just limping through. Penix was banged up a little bit, but undefeated, man. 13-0, just what a what an awesome season. Back-to-back, really nice years for Washington. Pretty cool. Sooner Stu on the text line wants to know, Teddy, since you brought it up, I've always wondered in my mind, if you lined up Kyler, Marquise Brown, Tyreek Hill, and Brennan Thompson, and they had a 100-yard dash, what would be the results? Uh, Tyreek, Brennan Thompson, and who was the other one? Kyler and Kyler, Hollywood Brown. Kyler get last. Um, I would probably take. I I, depend, I don't know how trained up Brennan Thompson would be, but I'd probably take Tyreek Hill. When in doubt, take Tyreek Hill at the moment. <laughs> yeah, no you know, I mean, that. he's. He can absolutely fly. He's got his – he's like the perfect football speed, too, because of how, like, compact he is. Like, most sprinters are 
you feel like they're almost like birds with hollow bones. You know, they're just they're super narrow hipped and um, long leg, short torso, um, and you just they're powerful. Yes, but like really, really light. Tyreek Hill's not really built that way. He's like he's shorter and more compact, and like a super, super explosive athlete. Um, a little bit different look than than like what Marquise Brown and Brennan Thompson look like. He's like suited for football because you know you got the bulkier pads on and you start and stop a little bit more. Marquise Brown, I would say, and more so Brennan Thompson are made for like just absolute top end speed flying. Now Marquise Brown happens to be a really good route runner and can do a lot more than just just fly down the field but in that uh, that race i would probably go tyree kill but i don't know well and one of the things you got to distinguish between two is football fast versus track fast if you're just lining them up to do a 100 yard dash one of the things you know certifiably about brennan thompson is that not only is he football fast he is track fast he won a state championship in texas in the 100 meters ran it in like 10.22 so yeah. I, I don't know offhand what Marquise Brown's track times were. I don't know offhand what Tyreek Hill's track times were. But if you're simply lining those guys up and saying, hey, run 100 yards, see who finishes first, it's not quite the same deal as you know putting them in pads and asking them to do football activities at full speed. Yeah. And I guess whenever I envisioned the race, I envisioned it on a football field, in cleats, goal line to goal line. Um, and in that case, I'd take Tyreek Hill, but I don't know. I don't think there's – I think anyone's capable, even Kyler. Gunner from Grove says, Teddy, tell us how much you love neck rolls. Speak them back into existence, please. Yeah, well, they're not going to come back into existence. It's – I mean, it's just a – the attire – follows the game and the game is played more wide open more more passing right for the most part backers you know for for a long they're downhill guys big collisions with pulling guards and fullbacks that are only there as battering rams so you have to have these big bulky pads to protect your shoulders neck rolls to protect your neck, you know, because you're having all those big-time collisions over and over. And as people spread out more, you know, like vision and being able to turn your head and see routes behind you and all of that, that's kind of uh, the most important thing. You've seen backers, the pads get smaller and smaller because they're not taking on ISO ten times a game. So – I hate to say it, but you're not going to see them unless a guy's got some type of injury or something on their neck. Then you'll see it maybe for a couple of weeks. Or if they just like how it looks, which is kind of how I was. You you like how it looks. Players that you liked previously wore them, so you wear them. Now, on the Brennan Thompson conversation, Oklahoma Johnny chimed in and said, what do you think about putting the Thompson kid on one sideline and the Petaway kid on the other and saying go? 
seems like that would really stress the defense and open up short middle options for the tight end. And on that note, one of the things that Emmett Jones has really placed an emphasis on since he got to Oklahoma is increasing the overall speed of the wide receiver room. And that's not exclusive to Brennan Thompson either, because if you look at two of the wideouts that are going to sign with Oklahoma tomorrow, one of them, Zion Raggins, get this, Teddy, as a freshman in high school, won a state championship in Georgia with a 10.37 in the 100 meters. And another, K.J. Daniels from the state of Louisiana, back at the Under Armour Next Camp in Dallas in March, which is a huge regional camp that attracts hundreds upon hundreds of prospects at all positions. Out of every single kid, and they all do the exact same tests, they all go through – they, I mean, it's basically like a combine-type setting before they go into position-specific drills. But out of literally every single prospect there, nobody had a faster 10-yard split than K.J. Daniels. Mm. So this Oklahoma receiver room is about to be chock-full of dudes that can stretch the field. Yeah, no, speed. you got to have speed. Um, I, Yeah, you could do that. I mean, i got no problem with that. Here's what I would say, though. I'd prefer to be on the same side other than opposite sides. You know, and depending on how a team plays, whether you got a man-to-man team or, or whatever. But, you know, zone teams, your corners are going to be on opposite sides. Those are typically your faster guys. And um, not always. I guess really where you line them up would, would depend on like, how do you expose their slower secondary players? Uh, maybe that's putting them on opposite sides. Maybe that's putting them on the same side. But the more speed you can have on the field at the same time, the better. But you, you know, you've got to have you've got to have versatile players out there. Um, and I think Pedway's a versatile player. Uh, that's why it, it's a nice mix to have them on the same side. Because if you've got a guy that can burn and no one else on the field can run with him, it's it's a great to clear things out and have other guys run routes and take advantage of the space created there with the void. So, um, yeah, I mean, more speed, the better. Apparently, as as reported by several texters on the text line, Tyreek Hill ran a 10.19 while at Oklahoma State. So, yes, Tyreek Hill probably wins the 100-yard race between those yeah, four guys. Well, Ten one nine and ten two two are you're within the margin for error to where uh, track conditions and everything are probably you know it would can change who actually ran the fastest time that you know what I'm saying so they're they're incredibly tight and I don't know how how much I see. Tyreek Hill strikes me as the guy that could show up out there today and and run it and and be really fast at it. Like Brandon Thompson strikes me more as a like a true track guy where like, he's he probably maybe needs to be more practiced to get like the the perfect start and everything because Tyreek Hill's just so he's got so much explosive power that he can i think he can overcome bad technique on the start if that makes sense but i don't know i'm just guessing what was your best 100 meter time in high school teddy asks one listener 
10-4. Holy smokes. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I I think it was laser. I, I'm pretty sure it was like, I think it was a hand start laser finish type thing. But I don't know. 10-4, high 10-4, and I lost, got beat. Who beat you? Uh, a kid from Bristow, Oklahoma, named Leron Alexander. Ah. Beat me three times that year. I got closer and closer every time. And in the state finals, I had, because he would always, he was, I mean, probably 5'8", tops, 160 pounds, tops. And he would just smoke me out of the gate. And I'd slowly walk him down, and I'd run out of run out of track. But in the state finals, Parker, um, we get into the blocks. Pow! I get by far the best start I had had all year. We came out even. I was going to go beat him, and double gun. Someone came early, so we had to go back. Oh and no. Second start was good. It wasn't as good, and I just couldn't run him down. Sad day. Sad, sad day. All right, quick timeout. More from the rush coming up. We'll wrap up hour number two next. Rushes back. Hang on, Bob Moore Nissan today. 0% financing, 36 months on Nissan Altima's. As low as two eighty eight per month on the verses as well. Huge selection here, uh, new and pre owned. Heading into the top of the hour timeout. Um, we got signing day tomorrow. We got the bowl game coming up on us quickly, and we got transfer portal stuff. We can get into a lot of that now. We talked yesterday, and I think earlier in the show about some of the possibilities for transfer portal that are still out there, some on the offensive line, I think, some on the defensive line, uh, some other positions as well. So we'll refocus our energy, and we'll head into the final hour. Stay tuned. We'll also hit some text messages as well. We'll be back. Rush is back. Final hour. Teddy Lehman here. Parker Thune back in studio. Hanging on at Bob Moore Nissan today. Bunch of great deals going on. 0%. 36 months on Nissan Altima. 0% on all Nissan Titans. $375 a month for Rogues. $315 a month on Nissan Kicks. You can't miss this. West side of I-35, just north of Tecumseh. Okay. Uh, signing day is tomorrow. We're getting close. Uh, what do they, they start coming in at like 6 or 7 a.m.? Is that so- right? Commits can begin faxing their NLIs at 7 a.m. local time, whatever time zone they're in. So once again, Daniel Akinkunmi, theoretically, could fax in his NLI at 2 a.m. Now, he has already said he is not signing tomorrow until 10.30 a.m. local time, which is 5.30 a.m. here in Oklahoma. But that will likely be the earliest and then 6 a.m. when the Eastern Time Zone guys can start faxing in their NLIs. That's probably when things will get bumping for real. There you go. Signing day tomorrow. Going to be a lot of fun. And you guys are doing the signing day special. Tell us about that. Yes, the signing day special, the OU Insider signing day special, is going to be at Sooner Daiquiri 
in Norman on Main Street tomorrow Let's from go. 7 to 10 p.m. Sooner Daiquiri, this place is owned and operated by Larry McDonald, who is the father of Oklahoma four-star defensive back commit Michael Patterson McDonald. So he is going to be live on site with us, as will Andy Bass, X Robinson, David Stone. We'll have several others join in via video call. It's going to be three hours of interviews and opportunities for you to get to know, both virtually and in person, your Oklahoma 2024 signing class. Very cool. That's going to be a lot of fun. Um, Hopefully it's a good day. Should be a good day. Um, I don't know of any unexpected surprises that we're possibly going to have. Um, I don't think like there's any that even there, – there's nothing really on the radar. Is there right now for well, that? I, I will say this. Three days ago, over, over the weekend, there were some things happening behind the scenes that kind of had me alarmed as to whether a couple of these guys would sign their NLIs tomorrow. But it's really not worth oh, diving man. all that deep into because from what I understand – Everything has been resolved between those particular individuals and the University of Oklahoma. So I don't expect that there will be anything out of the ordinary and or unexpected that arises tomorrow over the course of the day. Yeah, let's hope that is the case. Okay. Um, Transfer portal. Now, uh, we talked yesterday about Nuwaru from North Texas. Is that my saying that right? Nuwawu. 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 And the Vandermark kid uh, from Michigan State. It, have you heard anything else on on any of the transfer portal stuff? Well, I'll tell you this much. I I am surprised that we have still not gotten an announcement from yeah. Fabetchi Nuwawu. I expect him to end up in an Oklahoma uniform. Uh, by the way, it is official. Lamar from Muskogee's sourcing was correct. Savion Bird is committed to SMU. So the possibility of him returning to Oklahoma mm. is no more. And as far as Gino Vandemark is concerned, I kind of hinted at this yesterday. I'm not sure how much we really dove into it, but there is a significant financial offer on the table for him to withdraw from the portal and return to Michigan State. So... Mm. It will likely come down to whether he is willing to prioritize development and what Bill Beatonbo can offer and getting some good solid NIL at the University of Oklahoma or taking the big bag and going back to Michigan State, which is probably a program that, given the reset they're undergoing, is probably two or three years away from winning again. Yeah. Well, a quick shout-out to Muskogee and uh, Lamar for coming in with the the well-sourced, true intel early on Savion Bird and SMU. Big time. Give him a smiley sticker or something on the text line if Well you done, can. Lamar. Props to you. It's awesome. Also, this is breaking at the top of the hour here. Evan Stewart, former five-star wide receiver and current Texas A&M Aggie, mm. is in the transfer portal. Okay. Uh, it's kind of a slow trickle at Texas A&M on guys jumping in the portal, right? Not necessarily all at once, but slowly but surely, guys are are making their way in. That's kind of how it's been. 
yes. And you have to imagine a lot of that is due to the monetary situations and guys weighing and or gauging whether the promises that they were made under the leadership of the former staff at Texas A&M will be honored and upheld under the direction of the new football staff at Texas A&M. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Interesting. Um, what do you think is going to happen? What have you heard? What do you think for defensive line in the transfer portal? Now, um, I I don't know that they're going to take a backer. I mean, maybe if the, the perfect opportunity presents itself, I think Jacket Stutzman Chris. coming back. Uh, yeah, no kidding. Uh, Stutzman coming back like kind of changes the dynamic of that and just numbers-wise how it looks in that room. Um I, I, it feels like the main focus is going to be defensive line, and they don't. It doesn't seem like, at least right now, they have a whole bunch of lures in the water, right? There's a As couple of right now. It's Chris McClellan, and that's pretty much it. Again, I think right now the lean would be to Missouri for McClellan, based on what I know of that situation. Now they did offer Anton Junkosh formerly mm-hmm. of the University of Albany, 12 sacks this year for the Great Danes. Awesome mascot, by the way. Uh, but he is more of a defensive end than a defensive tackle. I think at this point, Ted, you're waiting to see what happens with DJ Hicks. And yeah. you may end up having to hold off until the second portal wave comes after spring ball. Keep in mind, DeJon Terry transferred to Oklahoma in what, June? Yeah. Same thing with Philip Paya, who admittedly did not make as much of an impact as DeJon Terry. But you will be able to find guys that can contribute in the portal after spring ball concludes. If Oklahoma ends up coming up empty at defensive tackle in the portal for the month of December and the month of January, that doesn't mean all is lost. Right. And, you know, I, I think that, I think a lot of guys, and I don't know how how many guys have NILs possibly that are tied to um, tied to bowl games. Is that something that maybe some schools do? So um, maybe you're going to get a. I would imagine, anyways, you're going to get a big surge post bowl game for guys jumping in the portal from some of your your higher tier football teams, and it for such a glaring need for Oklahoma and I know they've got a really good class of defensive line coming in but they're they're freshmen and you there's there's a lot of unknown there but I mean almost like um like too quiet you know what I'm saying with the with the defensive line in the transfer portal as if um you know, they not that they know something that's going to happen or anything, but just being really patient and picky with some of the defensive line additions that they, they may try and make through the portal. And it's a position where you want to be picky, right? Like defensive tackle, sure. you, don't, you don't want to have a ton of bodies in that room that aren't contributing. The Sooners, for instance, Philip Pye is a great example. I think he played in one game for Oklahoma. And, again, mm-hmm. that was a guy that was a one-year rental. 
And if it didn't pan out, fine. It wasn't a long-term commitment. But what you don't want to have is a bunch of jags at defensive tackle and continually be rotating amongst guys who are essentially taking up space and not making any tangible impact on the football game. I think that was kind of reflecting on the 2022 season. That was kind of the case. Jalen Redmond was good for Oklahoma outside of that. Man, whoever was lining up next to him at defensive tackle, and Oklahoma did get to the point where they were running a lot of three-man front that year. But it was Jalen Redmond and Jeffrey Johnson did not do a whole heck of a lot. Jordan Mm -hmm. Kelly and Isaiah Coe did not do a whole heck of a lot. And you saw Oklahoma suffer defensively for lack of a dominant presence in the interior of the defensive line. So it is one of those positions where if you want to find a rock-solid dude in the portal, you're going to have to pay big money. That's just how it is. And that is why there is a lot riding on whether or not DJ Hicks ends up entering the transfer portal and also a lot riding on what happens down the stretch with Dominic McKinley as well, the five-star defensive lineman out of Lafayette, Louisiana. Yeah. And I don't know. There's He's still uh, committed to Texas A&M, correct? He has just said he's not going to be taking part in the early signing period. Is that right? There are some out there saying that there is a chance he signs tomorrow. I know that, and several people Mm. have texted that in. Uh, Based on what we know of the situation, it does not sound like he's going to sign tomorrow and will take his recruitment into February. Now, is there a chance I'm wrong? Certainly. But uh, I know the Oklahoma staff, folks in the Switzer Center, they believe this thing is going to go down to the wire in February, and they are content to play the long game, see if they can get him back to campus at some point between now and National Signing Day, see if they can make something happen. Yeah. Yeah, well, exciting times. Man, I am thrilled about our defensive line haul that we've got coming in. The three interior guys. Now, I'm calling Nigel Smith an interior guy. Is that where they plan on him playing? Because he's kind of almost a hybrid, right? Edge and inside? So, as it has been pitched to Nigel Smith from the Oklahoma staff, he and I had a conversation over this summer as he was not too far off from getting ready to commit to Oklahoma. And, of course, it was a long time coming. It was never really much of a doubt that OU was going to be the destination. But he had been up for the spring game for the second straight year. And I asked him, hey, look, man, obviously you're six foot five, you're 265, you're a guy that could bulk up a little bit more and play defensive tackle, or, or I mean, you were back-to-back district defensive lineman of the year in the district he plays in Texas off the edge. So what is the vision for you when you get to Oklahoma? What are they kind of selling you on as far as where you fit in the defensive scheme? And he said, when I went up to the spring game, when I went to watch the spring game, the coaching staff pointed out Rondell Bothroyd to me, and they told me, Mm. that's what you're going to be. What Rondell Bothroyd is for our defense right now, that's what you're going to be when you get here. So, again, those plans are never concrete. Who knows where things end up if he gets to campus and eats a ton and suddenly he's 285 instead of 265. You adjust and adapt as necessary. But I know the initial plan for him is to play defensive end. Yeah. Well, there you go. There you go. A couple of interior guys, a couple of edge guys. Um, I like it. 
Jaden Jackson looks really, really good to me. And uh, obviously Stone, those two guys are going to be nice little tandem. And um, it was awesome to get DeJon Terry and uh, Lacey back. We needed that. We needed the numbers. But I do think that they're going to take a couple of guys in the transfer portal at defensive line. And I like the fact that they're being they're, – they're being... now, is the um, – is the the kid from Albany? Is he a defensive end or an interior? He is a defensive end. So again, he would okay. kind of be another Bothroyd esque guy, where he is bigger for a defensive end and is pretty much yeah. always going to have his hand in the dirt. But yeah, no, he's not a defensive tackle. Now there are a couple couple textures that have pointed out Corey Foreman, the former number one overall recruit in the twenty twenty one class, who spent the first couple years of his collegiate career at USC. He is in the transfer portal as of today, and several folks have pointed out there was a time where he was committed to Brent Venables at Clemson. So hmm. that is the wild that that is the big wild card amongst all of this. The Sooners did kick the tires with Princely Uman Mielin, the edge rusher from Florida, who ended up committing to Ole Miss. But a defensive end is something that I know that they are not opposed to taking. Hence the offer to Anton Junkosh. And it does beg the question, do they launch a pursuit of Corey Foreman? I don't know the answer yet, but with the past connection to Venables at Clemson, it would certainly make sense on paper. Hmm. That's big time. Yeah, that's uh, – yeah. Uh, and he's uh, he's he's a pretty good player now from what I've seen. And I, I don't know, it's hard to watch. I didn't watch a whole lot of him specifically, but – yeah, that would be that'd be a nice addition. All right, uh, we got to hit a timeout. Quick break. Keep hitting this on the text line. We'll get to some of those next. Six five one three four three nine. Hanging out at Bob Moore Nissan. Stay tuned. Rush is back. Final hour. Teddy Lehman here. Parker Thune back in studio. Hanging out at Bob Moore Nissan today. Zero percent financing. Thirty six months on Nissan Altimas. Plus, as low as three seventy-five on the Nissan Rogues. You can't miss us. West side of I thirty-five, just north of Tecumseh in Norman. Come see us. All right, uh, let's hit the text line. We got anything good percolating on the text line, Parker? Let's find out. Let's head there. Uh, the seven seven one three listener in Texas ask: Any chance we land Texas A and M defensive tackle or offensive lineman? Seems all A and M guys are taking the highest bid, and we haven't won any high bid battles. Uh, I believe that listener would be referring to uh, DJ Hicks, of course, and then Chase Basantis, the former five star offensive tackle who recently entered the portal. Yeah, Basantis, that is a guy that will go to the highest bidder, pure and simple. Mm-hmm. As for Hicks, I if he gets in the portal, I think the odds he is a Sooner are very good. Because at the end of the day, and here's the deal. Here's what so many kids and families do not understand about NIL. Is that you can have a coaching staff promise you this, that, and the other. But at the end of the day, what you end up making at the collegiate level is going to be commensurate with how you perform on the field. Because Mm -hmm. if you do not perform, you don't crack the two deep, you're not making an impact for the team. These days, when the portal is easily accessible and chock full of dudes that can take your spot, 
and the coaching staff knows that they can go to the portal and replace you that easily, they'll tell you, hey, pack up, go find somewhere else. And then you're up a creek without a paddle doing the whole recruitment process over again on a highly accelerated timeline. And so promises get made up front, no question about it. But when you come to a crossroads later in your career, as Chase Basantis came to and as as DJ Hicks is likely coming to here, then you have to make the decision. And and the decision you have to make for yourself is, okay, am I going to jump at the – program that offers me the biggest dollar amount or am i going to trust a specific coach or a specific specific staff that i feel is going to best develop me and make use of my talents and help me become a great college football player because at that point the money comes to you there's a reason why dylan gabriel cleared as much money as he did via nil Mm -hmm. at the university of oklahoma and it's because a he was the starting quarterback and B, he was playing excellent football. The guys that play well are the guys that get rewarded. Yeah. No, that's right. And, you know, I think that um, I, I don't know. You know the Hicks situation really well. Uh, I don't. But it seems to me that uh, just listening to the texture. Okay, maybe he go, does go to the highest bidder, but he may go to the highest bidder, but give Oklahoma like every opportunity to match, right? And work and find a way to get there, like because there's, I mean, take NFL free agency for example. It's you don't always see guys just flat out go to the highest bidder. I mean, oftentimes it'll take a little less money, a little different structure to go play with the right quarterback or, you know, for the right team, whatever that might, the right city, that type of stuff. Now, you don't give some crazy discount, but if there's a place that you ultimately do really want to go and want to be, you'll you'll typically be a little more lenient and help them work with them to get to a place where everyone's happy. And hopefully that would be the case with DJ Hicks because it felt like, obviously, leading right up to the moment, apparently the, the relationship was really good and everyone felt great about it and... You know, I'm, I'm sure they've continued to work that and develop it however they can. So, I mean, if he's if he does in fact enter the portal, who knows if he will or not? It feels like if they can come up with the required money, this is where he would want to be, right? Yeah. Well, and this may give some indirect insight into how that all went down, but. I truly believe that if DJ Hicks enters the portal, it's not going to be about selling DJ Hicks on the fit at Oklahoma. It's going to be about selling Papa Hicks on the fit at Oklahoma. I think he's the one you got to win over because I I don't question that DJ Hicks himself would transfer to Oklahoma in a heartbeat. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the things that you'll – 
want to have if you're him is if you enter the transfer portal after just one year, you need stability, right? You need stability. You need a place where you know you're going to be running the same system where – and that's Oklahoma right now. Your head coach is not in uh, title, but he's your defensive coordinator. You know what system you're going to be in. You know that that's going to have staying power. Um, yeah, so, I mean, there's there's probably going to be a bunch of places that are maybe like one-off offering up big money, but you got to really wonder about some stability in places like that. And are they really everything that they're they're you know made up to be? I don't know. We'll see. It's really it's crazy times that we're that we have these conversations like it's. It's not free agency. I don't even know what it is. They're hypotheticals. Like, isn't it weird? It wasn't very long ago that a kid goes to A&M or a kid goes to Georgia or a kid goes to Oklahoma. Like, you missed out. It's done deal. It's over. You're never going to see that kid again. Now it's a year-by-year thing. Like, oh, yeah, you well, you missed out on him for signing day, but let them coach him up for a year, spend a bunch of – uh, time and energy and resources on getting him up to speed for college ball, and maybe we'll get him on the second go-around after year one. It's crazy. CT in Piedmont says, feels like we are losing the portal season bad so far. What? I I do not agree, CT in Piedmont. And I would love to know what is what compels you to posit that that is the case. Well, I guess – I. This is going to be the national take on Oklahoma. The shocker, the national take on Oklahoma is going to be uh, horribly one-sided and skin deep. Uh, You take Dylan Gabriel's production, minus it, and you take Caden Green, and, like, there's no way Oklahoma can function moving forward, right? I mean that's like the skin deep view, and I like those are two big losses. But sure, the Dylan Gabriel one was cooked in. I I don't know that there was more than five percent of people that, and maybe zero percent of coaching staff thought that Dylan Gabriel was going to stay. Like it was a it was a almost a known thing that he was going to be gone either to the NFL or to the transfer portal. Okay, so. Like to me, I don't even like really value that as a. I don't even call that a transfer portal loss. I mean, technically it is, but I mean, we wanted Jackson Arnold to be our quarterback next year. Love, appreciate everything Dylan Gabriel did. Thought he was awesome, but we wanted Jackson Arnold to be our quarterback next year. That's just how it is. So I don't, I don't really count that as a transfer portal loss. Caden Green, big loss. No way around that. I mean, that's a. That's a future, possibly first round guard to the NFL. He's going to be a high round pick. Um, now, addition wise, the you got what at the time, and I don't know it's it's going to change, but one of the best wide receivers in the portal, right? High production guy that you can use all over the place, versatile. But outside of that, like, what's really happened, like, to where we're a loser? We've just started this thing. Well, and to run it all down here, look, set the offensive line aside. Obviously, Bill Beatonmo is going to have to rebuild the offensive line. I 
and many others trust him to do just that. He's certainly earned the benefit of the doubt that he is capable of doing that over the years at the University of Oklahoma. So if you acknowledge that there is work to be done in rebuilding the offensive line and developing a cast of characters in that regard heading into next year, here's what you lose outside of that group. Dylan Gabriel, once again, that was the expectation. Jackson Arnold was always going to be the Sooner starting quarterback come 2024. So not much of a loss there. You lose Drake Stoops. Obviously, Dylan Gabriel's go-to guy. But if there is one position right now where you're not worried about the depth and overall talent level, it's wide receiver. You lose Austin Stogner, who caught 16 passes this year. You mm-hmm. lose Rondell Bothroyd at defensive end. You lose Reggie Pearson at safety. You may lose Woody Washington at corner. I would consider it likely that he makes the jump to the NFL. All in all... If you're looking at overall retention rate, that's pretty solid. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's way too early in the game to uh, to say that we're losing the transfer portal big. I mean, we've lost a starting offensive lineman and a rotational safety to the transfer portal right now. Unless, am I forgetting something? Am I missing something? No, not really. Everybody else was depth. Everybody yeah, else save you was. Save Bird. Well, yeah. Fair. Save you on Bird, but you know that he's wasn't a starter. Had every opportunity to start all year long. Wasn't a starter. So big loss. It's only it's only a big loss because of Kane Green leaving. It's not a big loss because of Savion Bird leaving. At least, I mean, that's how I view it right now. Ton of potential just. You know, I think it's best for him to go see if he can turn it on somewhere else. Hopefully it's SMU. We'll be fine. There's plenty of time, man. We're doing fine. And I think I think the slow roll at defensive line right now for Venables, I mean, to me it's kind of telling you the story here that they have some big ideas of what they may or may not be able to do, and there's no sense in going out and burning up a bunch of offers to guys that aren't the caliber of player that you you need or that you have a strong feeling may jump into the portal at some point. Right? Patience. It's all going to work out just fine. It better. <laughs> it better work out just fine. Right. All right, let's hit a quick timeout. Keep the text coming. We'll get to some more of those. A couple of segments left here from Bob Moore Nissan. Rush is back. Final hour. Bob Moore Nissan here in Norman. Come and see us. Huge inventory, new and pre-owned, and great financing deals as well. We got us uh, a big hoops game tomorrow night. Or uh, is it Thursday night? Thursday night. No, it is tomorrow night. Is it tomorrow? Okay, I, yeah. I only know that because I was having a conversation with a coworker earlier today, and he was like, yeah, uh, we got to make sure basketball is covered tomorrow in the midst of all the signing day craziness. And I was like, oh, shoot, uh, biggest game for Sooner Hoops in years. And in the midst, it, it just happens to fall in the midst of early signing day chaos. Yeah, North Carolina is a good basketball team. Thank God we get them at a neutral site. In North Carolina, 
you know, really helped us out on that. Um, that's going to be awesome. Can't wait for that. Must watch television. Uh, see this uh, this team take on the the best opponent they've faced so far. And team, I think they got a shot of beating. That's going to be a lot of fun. All right. Um, anything good on the text line worth getting to? Let's see. Let's take a look. We have a uh, – oh, boy. Oh, boy. Here's Doug and Norman. We have a Doug and Norman yeah. text. Anytime we got a Doug and Norman text, you know stuff's about to go down. So, we are getting a receiver from a 4-8 and eight Purdue team and an offensive lineman from a 4-8 and eight Michigan State team. Oh, and a tight end from a 3-8 and eight Southeastern Louisiana team. Does Teddy even know what league Southeastern Louisiana is in? Please don't insult our intelligence that we are not losing the transfer portal game. Let's have some more about the highly touted guys coming in. They will be next year's transfer portal exits. They are nothing more than practice fodder. So in some, Teddy, good players are not allowed to exist on bad teams. Yeah, well, I I don't think the I don't think the tackle from Michigan State is he's not a plug-and-play starter. He's not Walter Rouse, uh, and I never said such. Um, the tight end from wherever Louisiana, never did I say anything other than looks like a solid, um, good size, good athlete, had some good offers. I've never seen him play, and I no, I don't know what conference he, they play in, and I don't care. Um <laughs> Now, the receiver from Purdue is a le- legitimate, uh, productive, versatile wide receiver, widely considered at the time to be one of the best wide receivers in the portal. Now, as different guys jump in, that ranking is going to change. Um, so, I, I, I totally disagree on uh on the characterization of burks yeah like one wide receiver on a bad team means the wide receiver is is like you can't be good on a bad team i mean there's 22 guys that are starting out there i mean i that is it's it's not a serious take from doug who although always negative usually serious that's not a serious take from doug um the transfer portal you can't lose the transfer portal whenever it literally has just begun we're just getting started here the amount of the amount of guys that are jumping into the transfer portal on a daily basis is I mean, it's it's large. There's guys from all over the place. Who'd you see the wide receiver from A and M? Right, he just got in today. I mean, he's the the defensive tackle from USC. He's a you know he's a, a Tackett Curtis, the backer, got in last night. I mean, things are just now getting started. If you've made your decision that we've already lost the transfer portal right now, again you can't be taken seriously is it a guarantee that we win the transfer portal if there is such a thing no it's not but 
to make your decision right now, absurd. This listener in the 405 says, how about those powerhouse schools Hollywood Brown and Baker Mayfield came from? (laughs) And Kyler Murray, for that matter. Uh Yeah, and look, not every transfer is going to end up being Hollywood Brown or Baker Mayfield, but to assert that you can't find a good player, a player worth having on a bad team, is asinine. Uh, It's it's just not serious. I mean, that's the thing. It's just, it's not, it's not serious. I know that Doug wants to be negative, and frankly, we need it. We need to see the opposite side a little bit, right? We, we get carried away sometimes with all of the positivity. No one likes positivity, all right? We need some, we need some negative stuff to be mad about. Doug delivers, but this time he's just missed the mark. Uh, it's another, not It's not serious. Another listener in the 405 says, how do you think about the last two years on the O-line? Multiple NFL picks, but on field just okay. Above average pass blocking slash below average run blocking. I cite this statistic a lot, and it is a niche statistic, no doubt, like not one that is immediately apparent. You kind of have to go digging for it, but it gives a good indication of just how good Oklahoma actually was as a run blocking team in 2022. I don't know where they rank in 2023. I don't think it's all tabulated until after the season, but Oklahoma's running backs were fourth in the nation in 2022 in yards before contact. You are mm-hmm. not picking up yards before contact unless your offensive line is winning at the point of attack. So I would kick back against the notion that Oklahoma has been below average in run blocking the last couple of years. Yeah, I... Yeah, Eric Gray was excellent at making guys miss and this year we didn't have that yeah. we were i mean here's here's the honest truth and i it doesn't have to stay here and i think i think even the guys that played this year can improve but we were we were middle of the road to bottom half of the Big 12 at the running back spot, just talent-wise. Yep. I mean that—that's just the truth. I—I I don't think the—I don't think the run blocking was—it wasn't excellent, but it wasn't bad. It's good enough. We just couldn't make the extra guy miss, and flat out—it's just flat out not good enough at Oklahoma at running back. What we had this year. And I think Sawchuck, like he had, a, he looked better late in the year. Okay, he did, but we never saw the flashes we saw a year ago from Barnes. Um, you know, Tawi delivered some stability there with some, you know, physicality and tough yards, but like, we were, we were just weren't in, anywhere close to. I mean, this we're talking about the Big Twelve now. And there's some good backs in the Big Twelve. I don't mean to to demean the Big 12, but we have to get way better at running back. And honestly, I'll say this too. I'm just I not a big fan of our run game that we've had the last couple of years. And, you know, I know some of the statistics and the rankings and where we ranked offensively ends up being pretty good. I mean, I do think that there's some truth that we 
we piled on some yards and and points and some statistics in in uh, games against you know heavily outmatched opponents. Not a big fan of what we did in the running game. Um, we've got to get better at like the tight end and uh, fullback position, H-back, whatever you want to call it, the year previous where Eric Gray had his really good year, we were a lot better with Braden Willis. And it's not Stogner's fault. That's just not what Stogner does, you know. And can you imagine if Stogner had not transferred back from South Carolina? I mean, the poor guy played damn near every single snap the entire year at tight end because we just didn't have anyone else. Uh, so the effort that he gave this year has been incredible. I, I, hats off to him. But like, we've got to get a better run game, in my opinion. Um, our, our like, uh, what we hang our hat on in the run game has really been as simple as count the box or snap it fast. And to me, that ain't good enough. We need, we need some meat and potatoes to our running game. We need some versatility. We need, we need some things like where we can use our athleticism on the offensive line and uh, make it difficult on defenses where they've got to try and match us, get the defensive line running sideways. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that we can do, whatever. But I don't think we had bad run blocking. Um, we just I don't think we had a system that really showcased what some of those guys were capable of doing. So point I I the pickup we made in the transfer portal at running back I mean I'm I'm ready to be I'm ready to have my mind changed, but as of right now, it kind of just feels like a body to me. And like that ain't good enough. Now, hopefully, the kid that we're signing tomorrow, uh, hopefully on signing day, gives us that boost at running back that we need. But and and hopefully, Sawchuck starts the year where he finished it this year and improves a lot because uh, he got close to what we what we need at the end of the year, but still not not near good enough we've if if you want to compete in the sec you're going to have to have one of the best running backs in the conference and as it sits right now buddy we ain't close so there you go there's some negative stuff for you doug huh chew on that for a while all right (laughs) Quick timeout. We'll come back and wrap things up here from Bob Moore Nissan in Norman. All right, Rush is back. Final quick segment here. Again, we've got signing day tomorrow. It's going to start early. Parker, you've got any concerns, any last-minute 
worries as we head into tomorrow? I don't, Ted, but here's the deal. Uh, it's the NIL era, mm. and teams are becoming more and more brazen about outright buying players. I have no doubt that some top recruits across the country are going to get calls tonight from coaches and programs that maybe they haven't talked to in months saying, hey, we want to make a signing day splash. We want to make sure you're part of it. We'll give uh. you insert ridiculous amount of money here if you sign with us tomorrow instead of the school you're committed to. So if you're an Oklahoma fan, man, the hope is that none of the kids that get those calls and listen to those calls are the kids that are committed to your institution. And I don't get that sense, yeah. but there are always surprises. There are always curveballs. There's always stuff that comes out of left field on National Signing Day. Well, there you go. So um, keep it tuned to the ref all day tomorrow to stay updated with what's happening for Signing Day. You guys killed it today on the text line as always. You drive the show. We're just along for the ride. Thanks to Bob Moore Nissan for having us out. Let's go have a nice cold Pacifico.